You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we will spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can always call us at 844-999-9429. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can always email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So, the summer is here. The weather is not as intense as last week, at least if you're in this part of the country. Detroit's had some nice weather the last couple days. I'm going to take my children to a campsite tonight. We're going to we're going to campfire, we're going to do hot dogs, we're going to do marshmallows, and then I think uh, my wife will say it's time to go when the bugs start to come out, which is fine because we're not the tent, campy, sleeping bag type, but uh, the kids love the fire, and the, again, we're not professionals, so it's the lighter fluid and the wood that they sell you, and we have a good time with that. That's fun. Of course, if you're on the East Coast, you're still having power problems. I believe DTE has covered just about everybody, so that's good. We, we were not affected over the weekend. Hoping none of you guys were affected over the weekend. And uh, lots of things to do today. We got a packed Torah portion. We have a fantastic guest with a fantastic name. Her name, if I'm pronouncing it right, is Israela. Israela, I believe that's how she pronounced it, uh, Meyerstein or Meyerstein uh, from Baltimore, a social worker, um, has recently published a book, um, Miracle Nation, 70 Stories About the Spirit of Israel, a Tribute to Rebirth in the Land of Our Ancestors. We're going to have a good time talking about her stories. It's an interesting book because it's a lot of short stories about people, about Israel, about what people can accomplish, about what countries can try to do. So that's going to be fun. We're going to do that in our next segment. Uh, we will not be joined by my friend Rabbi Jonathan Goldson. He actually is out in the Rockies. I think he told us that last week. He actually gave a TED talk in Colorado, which is probably why he's in the Rockies. He was fantastic. He sent uh, he sent out on his LinkedIn. You go to his LinkedIn page. Um, he has another spots, but I know it's on his LinkedIn page. His uh, TED talk, or just go to TED talk. Type in Jonathan Goldson. Great, great talk. Very, very enlightening. Who he was, what he what he's learned through life was really fantastic. Okay. So he will not be joining us. And we'll, we just have extra stories just to spice it up. So here we go. So the name of this week's story portion is Pinchas. Pinchas is a name. Who was Pinchas? We got to go back to last week's story portion. In last week's story portion... Bilaam, as we talked about, Bilaam was hired to curse the Jewish people, and God did not let. On the way out of town, Bilaam told Balak, Balak was the king of Moab that hired Bilaam to curse the Jewish people, he said, let me tell you something about the Jewish God. The Jewish God hates immorality. You get yourself a couple thousand prostitutes, you get the Jews coming out and hanging out with them, 
that will bring on a plague, you'll get a lot of Jews killed. And sure enough, that's exactly what Bullock did. And actually, I believe 22,000, 24,000 um, were killed in a plague. And uh, even, I mean, it was, it was, it seems it was primarily the tribe of Shimon. And what happened was people are dying. So they went to the leader of their tribe and they said, you got to protect us. So the leader of the tribe of Shimon takes a princess from Midian and goes to Moses and says, can I sleep with her or not? And Moses keeps quiet. This leader from the tribe of Shimon goes home, takes this princess to bed. And in the meanwhile, Pinchas, Pinchas is the grandson of Aaron, the high priest. He is not a priest yet, which is really fascinating that we'll also talk about. And um, Pinchas says to Moses, I thought that a zealot is allowed to kill someone who commits such a crime. In other words, this is not a crime that a court could deal with. The problem is there's a plague going on. So can a zealot, which we have to discuss what a zealot is, can a zealot take matters into his own hand? Which, by the way, is what a zealot is. A zealot is someone who takes matters into his own hand. And uh, Moses said... Uh, can't ask me. I can't answer. The reason Moses can't answer is because if you want to act like a zealot, it has to be so ingrained in you that if somebody has to tell you what to do, then you're not a zealot. So therefore, Pinchas, again, this last week's Torah portion, goes on his own. Again, he's from another tribe. He's, a, he's from the tribe of Levi. And uh, certainly the tribe of Shimon has to worry that someone's going to come and actually murder, which is exactly what uh, Pinchas did, and take matters into their own hands. So miraculously, Pinchas walks in. They don't notice his spear. They don't notice his spear is uh, folded up. And he goes and he throws his spear into the tent and he kills Zimri. That's the leader of the tribe of Shimon and the, and the princess from Midian, and as soon as that takes place, the plague ends. People stop dying. Now, you would imagine that uh, the plague stopped uh, because of this action, so everyone's going to be, oh, thank you so much, you're so wonderful, you stopped the plague, but it was really the opposite. You had all these people running around saying, who does this Pinchas think he is? He thinks he's some great rabbi. He thinks he's so holy. He thinks he has it within him. It becomes a religious argument, you understand. Uh, he thinks he's so holy that he's on the level of a zealot that he could kill these people. We think he committed a crime. We think he should be put to death. So there was a lot of uh, give and take um, about what should be done over here. So therefore, this week's story portion starts out that God comes in and God says, I am giving my treaty of shalom, my treaty of peace to Pinchas. Um, that's like reward number one. And reward number two is, and he will become a priest. Which again is really fascinating because he's a grandson of Aaron the high priest through his father. So it's a male lineage. So he should automatically be a priest. What happened was when the priestly family was created, when Aaron and his four sons become priests, the deal was Aaron, his four sons, and any future children, boys. Pinchas was already born. So he has to earn the right to be a priest. 
So he earns it. Now, it's 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 a fascinating why he earns it. Like the priests represent peace. That's what they represent. Their their job is to is to foster to create peace between husband and wife, man and his friend, and really between man and God. Right? Somebody does something wrong, he sins. So now God's upset with the person. So the person will bring a sacrifice, and he'll appease God if we want to say it that way. Um, or somebody committed a sin, so therefore God uh, gave him leprosy, so he has to be separated from people, and he's, I guess, separated from God. So it's the priests, the Kohen, it's his job to go ahead and help this person reconnect with God and fix what he's done wrong. So their job is to create peace. Murder is is the opposite of peace, right? That much we are all familiar with. Even if we say nowadays, oh, I have to be strong to to create peace, fine. That's a discussion for another day, maybe even our next segment, but there's certainly a, a, a future uh, streamcast that I have with an amazing guest, but we don't, we haven't set her up yet, so, but certainly she believes in peace, and peace in her mind has nothing to do with fighting. So, murder, is the opposite of peace. So much so, by the way, that if you were to have a Kohen, a priest, who kills someone, even by mistake, he is now disqualified from serving in the temple. What, whether it was his fault, whether it was not his fault, whether he was allowed to, whether he was not allowed to, all that is really irrelevant. But a priest, a Kohen, who murders, uh, can no longer serve in the temple. End of story. Which becomes interesting then. So you talk about the Hasmoneans, the Hashmanoyim from the story of Hanukkah. These guys are warriors. They're soldiers. So once they've killed, they're no longer going to be allowed to work in the temple. Fine. But this is the one exception in history where a Kohen could murder and at the same time become a priest. Not only not be disqualified, but actually become a priest. Why? Because if God is sending a plague and killing Jews... So now God is angry at the Jewish people, right? That, that much we can follow. So by Pinchas committing this action, this was actually an action of peace that created a bond. It fixed that rivet. It fixed the, the problem between the, certainly this tribe of Shimon and God, that now God is going to be back at peace. He's not going to be sending a plague. So therefore, God's at peace. So since Pinchas created peace... So he deserves to be a he deserves to be a priest. He deserves to be a Kohen. Not only that, he actually will become the high priest. Not only that, this is debatable, but many, many high priests all come from Pinchas. I, I saw today some say all of them came from Pinchas. Uh, are certainly a large majority. Certainly the first temple came from him. It's debatable in the second temple how many came from him. But uh, many, many high priests will come from Pinchas. Okay. So now let's take it just a little bit step further. This Pinchas is really a very famous person because there are many commentaries who say that Pinchas becomes Elijah the prophet. At some point in his life, he's basically living forever. Now, as part of this treaty of peace is that he's going to have a very, very long life. Some will say Elijah's alive today. Again, and it says he was taken alive up to heaven, and he pretty much becomes like an angel for the most part. So, 
if you want to say never die, they didn't die like a regular, like uh, like me and you were going to die. But um, or as I tell my class, at least you know everybody else. I don't know about me. We'll see. So in any case, so Pinchas becomes Elijah because. That, again, that's what Elijah does through his whole life. He's the prophet. He's the zealot. He's the one that's standing up for God. He's the one that's, at, at times, will get involved with the Jewish people. And um, he's, he also, by the way, because of this whole give and take of his, of his uh, zealousness, um, to show that he's doing it all for God, um, we say that Elijah comes to every bris, to every circumcision. That is why, again, it's an angel, not coming as a person, obviously, he's not walking in. At least, I've never seen it. Um, so there's a chair, it's called the chair of Elijah, and the baby is placed on that chair before we actually do the circumcision ceremony. So if you've ever been close enough, if blood doesn't make you too squeamy or too squirmish, um, you'll see in the process first they the, they bring in the baby, and then they, somebody puts the baby on the chair. That's the chair of Elijah. And then they, someone takes him off the chair and hands him to the person, the sandik, who will hold him during the circumcision. One other quick point about this concept of peace, and that is, and we find this in other Torah portions, we've talked about it in the past, and that is um, murder. If a person kills somebody, on purpose, not on purpose, a person goes to war, has no choice, must kill people. There's nothing you can do. The act of murder changes who a person is. You, you can't change that fact. person commits a crime, person kills someone, again, even a soldier. Soldier goes to war, he can't come back the same person. I don't care if you're Jewish, not Jewish, whatever country you're fighting for. If a person goes to war and he has to kill someone, he cannot be the same person. It has to affect who he is, what he is. It has to affect, as we say, his soul. It affects his neshama. He's not the same person. Nothing. It, this is this is not a punishment. This is just fact. There are actions that we do every day. Um, if we're friendly to people, we make ourselves a friendlier person. If we're nasty to people, we become a nastier person. Uh, if a person commits, again, I, we're calling it murder. If a person kills someone, he's no longer the same person. It's just impossible. So the Brisi Shalom, the the treaty of peace that that God gave to Pinchas, accomplishes that he his soul is not affected by his action. His action was so above and beyond what needed to be done uh, that a regular person couldn't do it. So, therefore, that action God sets up will not affect Pinchas' soul. I guess he just puts it through a, a laundromat, cleans it up, and therefore Pinchas' soul is not affected at all. Okay. So, we've got the story. Pinchas, um, it, it is a murder. It's just a permissible murder. So, Pinchas, because of his zealousness, cre- um, kills Zimri and this Cosby, this princess, because of that it stops the plague, because, because Pinchas is responsible for stopping the plague and creating peace, as we say measure for measure, Pinchas now is given this treaty of peace from God, and he also becomes a priest. Another facet, part of this treaty of peace is, I told you beforehand, you had a lot of people running around saying that, uh, that this Pinchas guy uh, committed murder. Who says he's such a good guy? What was their problem? Again, it became a religious argument. Um, the problem was that the in Hebrew, the word is kanoi. 
Kanoi again is in English we're going to translate as somebody who is zealous. Zealous means that your your entire intention is only for God. Whatever you're going to do. You know, you have all these, uh, I guess we, I, so I was listening to that word, uh, fundamentalist last night. You have all these fundamentalists running around and saying that, uh, that this is what I believe in, and you can blame it on God or whatever other ism they believe in, and I'm doing it for God, I'm doing it for God. And the question is, are they really 100% in, or there's some other stuff? Maybe they like the idea of killing. Maybe they like the idea of destruction. Maybe they like the idea of flipping over police cars, whatever case you would like to come up with. If it's not 100% pure that you're only doing it because you claim that you care about God, then you're not zealous. So the problem is, who could be on such a high level? I mean, we have Pinchas. We don't really, in, in, in the Torah's history, we don't really find other people that are on that level. So the people are claiming, who says that uh, this guy, Pinchas, could be on the level of, of, of only, only doing it for God's sake and there was no any, any other ulterior motive? Who could say such a thing? So God really has to come along and say that this guy, Pinchas, he was 100%. But no one else could say such a thing, and if no one else can say such a thing, then they then they can't be uh, then they can't be a zealot. So this becomes this amazing person. Pinchas. This gets us basically to the beginning of the Torah portion. Here comes my music. So hold through the break. We're going to be joined by Israel Meyerstein, author of Miracle Nation. So hold through the break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you.
as promised, we are joined by Israel, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Israel Meyerstein, author of Miracle Nation, 70 Stories About the Spirit of Israel. Uh, Israel is a licensed social worker who's been helping families, couples, and individuals for over 40 years. Israel, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. The weather here is beautiful. We have electric. I'm not sure how you're doing. Good. Also good. That's that's good to hear, because my children said their electric started going out in Lakewood, New Jersey, but Baltimore is obviously better. So before we get uh, even started, who is Israela Meyerstein? Who am I? Well, yeah, we we got to know who we're talking to. Who are you? Yeah, well, I'm uh, a um, social worker by profession. I work with families, couples, and individuals, helping, helping them with... Uh, marriage, uh, parenting, uh, life issues, and I'm also an author. I enjoy professional writing and writing in general, and I'm a mother and a grandmother, um, wife. Okay, we, 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 we got the whole picture. Now everyone okay. knows who Israel is, but the most important question is um, your name. Am I pronouncing it right? Is it Israela? Israela. Israela. Israela Meyerstein. Israela Meyerstein. Okay. So I get your whole You're name wrong. But... in and out a little bit. It's a little hard for me to... Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good. I'll be more careful into the mic. So, first we have to ask, I know it's in the book, how did you get your name? Why did your parents call you Israela? Okay. Great question. Well, I, one thing I didn't mention is that I... Uh, turned 70, so that's a hint. Happy birthday. But the truth is that um, I was born in 1948, a few months after the state, and uh, my parents, who had lost uh, relatives in the Holocaust, uh, when it was time to name me, decided they wanted to not name me after numerous people who had died, hard to choose, but rather after the newborn state of Israel. And I know it wasn't that usual a name. Probably, uh, if I had been a boy, it would have been Israel. But they decided to name me Israela. And uh, as a result, I think probably ever since, I've been somehow connected in a strong way to the country. Yeah, what a way to get a child connected, to give them a name that automatically connects them. But um, you do live in Baltimore. um, But I know you volunteered a lot of time in Israel. Um, yes. First of all, what do you do when you volunteer in Israel, and uh, why do you volunteer there? Well, I volunteered, uh, I've been going each year uh, for a short trip, and I, I tend to use my social work and family therapy training uh, to teach, pro bono teaching, in different settings, either to social workers in, in university or in a a counseling center or um, working in an agency to offer some training. And I also do a little hands-on volunteering, uh, whether it's packing packages for the hungry or working uh, to pack food um, in Leket, Israel. So I've, I've tried to incorporate a little bit of that, and I meet with professionals and just be in Israel. Um, my son studied is studied medicine in Israel, and I visited, we visited him every year. And then when he graduated, I started to miss that, that great reason to come to Israel every year, and so I began coming on my own. 
Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Okay, so let's talk about the book. Lots of stuff in the book to get to, I hope. Um, again, it's called Miracle Nation, 70 Stories About the Spirit of Israel. So, the first question, of course, is... Well, I'm not sure what the first question is, but the first question I'm going to ask you is, why did you write the book? Well, I wrote it uh, because I wanted to counter some of the horrible negative press and stereotypes about Israel and Jews, the BDS movement on campuses. I wanted to provide a feel-good and pride-inspiring book about Israel by showing some of Israel's beautiful humanitarian side that doesn't make the press. Um, I decided to do it while I was on a trip in Israel, and I was just thinking about all the amazing organizations I learned about that do wonderful things to help people in Israel and around the world, and those don't get, they don't make it to the, to the newspapers. I also had concerns for the, the uh, future generation. Um, next, the, the, the uh, young people, teenagers uh, on college campuses who were inundated with anti-Israel propaganda, I wanted to re-engage and inspire them and also by sharing some of these amazing stories to show them that there are amazing outlets for idealistic engagement in uh, causes related to Israel and in Israel. Great. And some of those stories we'll talk about. Um, but before we get there, um, any special reason you picked 70 stories? Well, I kind of tried to match the 70th birthday. Uh, there, there might be a few, a few under 70, but I wanted to uh, celebrate and honor Israel's 70th birthday. Cool. I actually didn't sit and count that. I can tell you, I did not sit and <laughs> count. This is. I mean, it's not like you number them and say this is story number 43 and this is story exactly. number 82. That much you didn't do. So yeah, there's all kinds of great, great stories. Um, as I told you when we spoke. Um, there, there are stories in here that, to me, were very powerful, to me personally, that I appreciated the story. And there are stories that, that didn't do anything for me. So I always tell people, it's like uh, you go shopping, you go to a grocery store, and you see on the grocery shelf there's like spinach, and you hate spinach. So normal people don't say, I'm not shopping in this store because they sell spinach. You leave the spinach on the shelf. And you go take the stuff you want. And this is the kind of book that everyone can find inspirational stories. So, I agree. Yeah, That's why I wrote it. Good. Um, I think that the stories are organized around uh, humanistic values, like saving a life, seeking justice, including all members of society, compassion for the poor and the stranger, loving your neighbor, protecting the environment, sort of the core values in our Torah. And they're organized alongside these values. And um, some, some stories are more uh, gripping than others, but I think people will find a way to relate because they're told by people who are doing this work. Uh, people will re be able to relate to their, the, the storyteller's ideals, what they tried to accomplish, why they did it and also uh, will be inspired by some of the beautiful work that um, they describe both in Israel and around the world. So, did, so first of all, did you meet all the people? Now, you didn't write every story. Some stories have titles on top with names. So did you write every story, or you collected stories? Well, I, I did not write every story. I wrote probably three or four of my own, as well as all the 
um, introductions and pulling it all together and the first few chapters I wrote. But I actually uh, connected with many, many very amazing people that I learned about. I either met them, some I met in person, and uh, some wrote the story for me, for me and gave it to me. Many I met through email and networking, and um, also sometimes we shared writing the story. A few, because of language difficulties, they either wrote it in Hebrew or they sort of told me the ideas and I put together the story. So it was a really a combination, but I had a personal contact with every person who, whose story is in the book. And that was quite an exciting adventure for me to meet people of this caliber. Yeah, so it, it, it like changes the flavor of the story when all of a sudden, yeah, this person I met here and this one I know over here and this one I had oh, coffee yeah. with. Yeah, it has to be a beautiful thing. It has to be really, really amazing. Now, at the beginning of the book, you actually get a little bit into the history, the early history of Israel, as the before the book progresses into the more modern stories. Is right. that is that because you just want to give these children, we'll call them children, but these kids that have no real background and no feeling for Israel to know where everything started from? Uh, well, yes, I felt it was important to give context. And um, the story of the Jewish people is a very amazing one. Uh, over the centuries, a lot of wandering and persecution at, uh, culminating in the Holocaust. And um, I felt it was important to also show where these values came from. They didn't just up, but they came way back from the desert days um, at Mount Sinai, and I thought it was useful history. I shared uh, some of the important events and documents leading up to the formation of the state, so I thought that was necessary to give the book a context. Okay, I mean, and it gives your own your birth, so you sort of get into that uh, that uh, time frame, right? Um, you can answer this one either way you want till our next break. You have about a minute and a half till our next break. Um, do you have a favorite story, or or um, if you were writing the book today, did you have a story that you didn't have a chance to get in? Um, well, I have a. It's hard for me to pick a favorite, but sometimes the the story itself was matched in excitement with finding the person who wrote it. <laughs> the adventure of gathering the story. So um, some of those are often my favorites. And also uh, some of the ideas behind the, in the organizations and the people in the stories are very uh, special, including ones that my, my sons wrote. So um, there are a lot of different routes to picking favorites. Right. That, I'm actually saving that for the end about that story that your son wrote. That, that, I, I think when we spoke, I don't remember if I'd gotten to that story yet, but I did get to that story all the way, all the way towards the end. Um, you know, I wrote down some stories that touched me. One of them, um, which we're not going to really get into, we'll get into it when we come back. One of them is about an organization called Leap. Which I'm not sure who created the English word, but that's Ladies Ethiopian Art Project, which you mm-hmm. describe again. These are people that came from a foreign country and probably weren't treated the way they should have been treated. And uh, here comes my music. We're going to get into some of these stories. So, Israel, if right. you can hold through the break, we're going to be right back with Israel and Myristine of Miracle Nation. Hold through the break, and we're going to be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? 
For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. We see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. Umped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> get umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Andy, uh, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. And we're back talking to Israel Meristein, author of Miracle Nation. Israel, are you still there? I am here. Excellent. So we were going to talk about Leap. Could you tell okay. us what is what is this organization called Leap? And they took an American acronym instead of an Israeli one. Right. So it stands for Ladies Ethiopian Art Project. And as some people know, there were a couple of um, large-scale migrations from Ethiopia where there was famine and oppression and uh, through the Sudan to Israel at different times through something called Operation Moses and Operation Solomon. And uh, many of these uh, Ethiopian families settled in Ashkelon, which was actually a place I did visit and I met personally the the woman who started this organization. She herself is an, an immigrant to Israel, but from South Africa. And when she, and so she knows what it's like to be an immigrant and to uh, Im, to get in, integrated into a society, but she also saw how much more difficult it was for the Ethiopian uh, families who didn't have as many resources. And so she thought a way of honoring their culture, lifting the spirits of the women, and uh, bringing in some small income might be to start a um, a craft making group where the women would meet together every week and have their coffee ceremony and do um, craft work um, uh, where they would make uh, different kind of uh, woven goods and challah covers and uh, pieces of art that used Ethiopian symbols and uh, Jewish symbols, and then they would sell them. Uh, they also would learn additional sewing skills so they could bring in some income. 
and it became a social group, it became a cultural group, it became a women's empowerment group, and it's a wonderful project. It was actually a partner project with an organization in Baltimore that um, is for whom uh, Ashkelon is a sister city. I heard that, that's as an example of a story that I appreciate. Um, this did not take a full-fledged organization to find a way to help people. This was one person who came up with a, a very, for the most part, a very simple idea, and uh, and it, I'm sure, it took a life of its own on. But it's, but anybody could have done this. Now, that, whoever started that project, I don't remember her name, um, but she stood up and said, "I want to help." And here's a way I can help. I don't have to be wealthy. I don't have to be super connected. I could just help. And that's yeah, really... Compassion. That was the main thing. Yeah, we that's... the compassion and the wish to help others who right. were less fortunate. And that, that's, I think, a theme through a lot of stories in the book. Yeah, you know, another example Absolutely. you can tell us. I know you mentioned it before. You've helped. Um, you said you did packages with Leckett? Yes. So Leckett, I only know a little bit, but uh, as I say in a snippet, that you know Leckett was a guy that wanted to start a food bank out of the back of his car, and now I believe you wrote he has like fifty thousand um, volunteers working with him, and this is a well, one man. Provide that many meals, and um, there's more than one truck, more like two dozen or something. At this point, and so so the largest we, food uh, rescue service in Israel. So what does that mean, a food rescue service? We think well, of a food bank. We um, take a good quality, but not necessarily beautiful food when the supermarket no longer wants to show it. And they also collect food from caterers after lavish weddings and um, bar mitzvahs. And the food is still in excellent condition, and they use some of that. So they, it's, it's all done hygienically, but and with, with uh, obviously rules and guidelines, but they basically, and they also glean in the fields, so it's, um, it, overall it's a way of providing meals for the hungry. Well, and again, it's, it, it started out pretty much as a one-man show. Absolutely. And it's amazing what one person can do. Here yep. in town, we have something called Yad Ezra, it's, it's a Jewish food bank, um, but one of, they're always looking for volunteers. Start it again. Right. Same idea. And one person can help, and it helps a lot of other people just by volunteering some time. Unbelievable. Now, the next story that I saw, uh, not so much, I don't know if it was a one-person show, um, it was this, I think you called it Water Knows No, no Borders. That was yeah. where they got the, the Israelis and Jordanians and Palestinians. What, what's, what was that story about? Well, this is a beautiful story, uh, one of my favorites. Um, it not only has to do with uh, loving your neighbor, but also protecting the environment. Uh, there's an organization called Eco Peace Middle East that brings together young people from uh, Israel, Jordan, and the Palestinian areas to get to know each other. And this particular story is about three girls who go on one of these trips, and their project is to learn about the shrinking of the Dead Sea and what can be done about it. So they took a hike together and they, they prepared a presentation for what they learned and read to the rest of the group. And when they started the day, they each had a lot of apprehensions. It's so interesting. They each went to the Dead Sea with their families for bathing, but they never went to the same part of the Dead Sea because they lived in separate areas. But by the end of the day, 
Um, they worked together. They overcame their anxiety about the other that was the stranger, and they became best friends, took each other's cell phone numbers, and began uh, uh, keeping in touch with each other after that experience. So it was a beautiful experience about learning about nature and the environment. It was a beautiful social experience, and it was actually steps towards building peace. Right, because all of a sudden, instead of all the news that's fed to me all day long, this one's this, or good, or bad, or who knows what, and then you meet the person, and like you know, there's a disconnect between what, they're t- what somebody's telling you and what happens when you actually meet the person. The so, yeah, human this, encounter. Unbelievable. Actually, since you're mentioning it, that was one of my main purposes in the book, is to put in stories that show efforts at coexistence within Israel, because people outside Israel only hear the news about the shooting and what's happening between countries, and they don't realize that there's a very substantial movement in Israel of efforts at coexistence between Israelis and Palestinians. And uh, there are many organizations, in fact, one story is about my son's, the organization my son founded that started with an umbrella over about three different coexistence organizations, and 15 years later, there are over 115, 115 of those coexistence organizations, Israelis and Palestinians who want to meet their neighbor and work with their neighbor towards peace on the ground with the hope that maybe peace could bubble up if it's not happening in the international forum. It has a better shot at a grassroots than uh, than politicians telling us what we're supposed to be doing. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's a word that comes up a lot in your book. I'm sorry, it's two words that come up a lot in your book, and that's the phrase called tikkun olam, or fixing the world, or helping the world. So Repairing the world. Say it again? Repairing the world. Repairing. Oh, oh, repairing. Very good. Repairing the world. So, it, it, just for, and as where you're, where, looking for the right word to say, how would you describe what you believe Tikkun Olam means? After we've said it means repairing, but what does it mean? Well, when we were given the world, um, it, we were expected to take care of it and improve it. That's my understanding of the Torah. Uh, to take care of the environment, to create societies that were filled with justice, that were inclusive. And so to me, tikkun olam, and it's also a term that became popular with social progress movements, tikkun olam means uh, repairing the world, making it a better society. And Israel has done a lot of that. There are organizations within Israel, but it's astounding the kind of way Israel has tried to do this in various parts of the world, particularly areas that are poor, that are um, needing a lot of support and help. And there are numerous stories about some of those organizations. Okay, good. That's exactly what I wanted. Um, I told you we're going to get to uh, your son, at least the, the name in the book. I can't tell you if that's his real name. Is Avi his real name? It is. Good. So uh, you have a very, it's really towards the end of the book. It's almost like a perfect like ending to the book, um, where your son writes about his feelings about Israel and sort of his journey. Um, could you tell us about that a little bit? Well, I'm very proud of the story he wrote. And he actually told the story of taking a family trip with his children for the first time to see Israel. He described that 
when he was growing up, he went to a day school. He learned all the perfect things about Israel, that Israel was perfect, which is a little... Uh, even Ben-Gurion knew that Israel's not perfect, but it's still... He would say Israel's not perfect, but it's still a miracle. And so my son had a very stri- strict, narrow view that Israel was perfect. And then when he, as he got older, he, uh, you know, realized that no country is perfect. And he also, when he was in college, he met Palestinians, some who became friends, and he met them as people, and he learned some of their story. So he realized that this, the, uh, it's a little more complicated. And so he, that's what ultimately led to him thinking that the best contribution he could make would be to bring Israelis and Palestinians together to work on things, whether there's a beautiful village in Israel, which there's a story about, um, called Neve Shalom, where for 30, 40 years, Israelis and Palestinians have been living together. They, they go to school there, they uh, work together, the, the teaching staff is a mixed staff of Israelis and Arabs. Um, so there are many organizations now that uh, my son w- works w- with, through Alliance through, for Mideast Peace, all met, that try to bring kids together for basketball, um, uh, kids together to volunteer, women's projects, all kinds of area, all different areas of life where there's opportunities for uh, collaboration. Amazing. It happens to be beautiful that you know, you're writing a whole book about Israel, and you can use your son's article as a, uh, as a closing statement. But my time is just about up. So, Israel, if you could leave us with two things. Number one, um, you can say anything you'd like, that you, a message you'd like to leave us with. And more important is, um, how can we get your book? Okay, well, I'll start with that. Um, the book is available on Amazon, or it's available directly from me, signed. Uh, my email is my name, uh, Israela, I-S-R-A-E-L-A, dot Meyerstein at gmail.com. And a closing statement is, um, I hope that you take a look at the book, buy the book, and learn about the real Israel, and learn about ways that, you, as a young person, or a young adult, or a young old person, you could actually get involved in some of these organizations, whether you do it in Israel or whether you do it by supporting counterparts of these organizations uh, around the world, because they all have websites, and uh, almost every one of them that is in the book has a website, and you can learn more about them. Amazing. Israela, thank you so much for your time. I had a great time. I hope we'll be in touch, and uh, have a great Shabbos. Thanks. It's delightful meeting you, and uh, the same to you. Okay. Be well. Be well. Okay, great. I hope I gave you a flavor of some of the numerous stories. Again, um, Israel's goal is is to give people a a, a picture of, of what what people are doing in Israel, what they're doing in Israel for others, what they're doing in other countries. She talks about African countries and and how they're helping them with irrigation and solar, all kinds of fascinating stuff. Hi, but we're getting close to my break and so many things to talk about, and I'm not going to have time. You know, we got coming up in this week's Torah portion, Moses, there's a recounting in this week's Torah portion. 
And just a fascinating thought before I get to my break, because here comes my music, and that is that we start counting the Jews when we leave Egypt. We got 600,000 and change. Guess what? Moses is turning the people back to God, to Joshua, and another 600,000 people. That's the same number. It's a good thought. Anyways, stay through the break. We're going to be right back for our last segment. I have two amazing stories to, sh- to share with you. You're listening to Rabbi Tzu Radio on, on NRM Streams, and we'll be right back. Any dream? Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Detroit, it's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? an interesting song to pick, but that's okay. That's good. We're going to learn. Here, we're going to teach lots of good Jewish stuff and good Jewish songs. Okay. So, before we get to these two amazing stories, um, we got to do my letter of the week and our word of the week. So, as soon as Kelsey gives me the thumbs up, and now I know that that poster is right behind me. So, we are up to the letter Chaf. It's really two letters. It's Kuf and Chaf. Depends if there's a dot in the middle. It's a, it's a backward C. It's a little more squared off. Um, it makes either a K sound or a Ch sound. That sound that if you weren't brought up in a, in a Jewish environment, it's a little bit harder to pronounce. And again, if you're from Russia, it's also an easier sound because it's part of the alphabet. Um, it is the, its numerical value is 20. And I had a very easy word this week. And the word is Cain. Cain means yes. Cain means yes, a very simple, basic word. Cain means yes. And the reason I picked it this week is because everything happening this week is yes. That yes, you can do it. Yes, Pinchas says, I can do it. I can be that zealot. I can stop the plague. Um, all the stories um, in Miracle Nation that we've been talking about, all the stories are about people who said, yes, I can. Most people will watch. 
Some will even give you some support. They might even help you a little bit. But you need those people that are willing to stand up and say, yes, I can. Yes, I can make a difference. And that's what Israel's book is all about. And that's what this week's Torah portion is all about. And um, actually, um, our first story, we'll see if I can get through both. But um, the first story, because I must get through this story. Then if I have extra time, we'll do other stuff. This is about a yes. This is an amazing story. And the story is, as we say, hot off the presses. Um, there's a girl, we won't go through her last name, her name is Eliana. Eliana just turned two. I believe she turned two um, last week, maybe Friday. She just turned two. Um, she's from Miami. So those in Miami, you may know this story. You probably got an email about this story. And uh, she, she was diagnosed with, now you can't ask me to explain this stuff, with SMA type 2. You ever heard of that? Me neither. But in any case, it is a rare genetic disease. Interesting enough, there is a miracle cure for this genetic disease. Um, I actually, having nothing to do with the story I'm telling you, I actually um, just read something about this, uh, something I had an article come my way about the different uh, drugs and different drug companies. And uh, this is, I believe, the most expensive drug out there. Its official name, if I'm pronouncing it right, is Olgenzma. Um, you can all at home take a guess. You will not guess what this is. If you want to guess what this one-time dosage costs, no gut sack. What do you think this costs? Give a guess, a high number. 2000 Oh, you have no, no as we say, no shaykhs. That's not expensive for a drug. But at least the first number is right. It, this drug actually costs $2.2 million for one dosage. Whoa, that, that got a reaction. The FDA has only approved this medication um, to be taken before the child turns two years old. After a child is two years old, the FDA does not allow the medicine to be used. Uh, since it's a very expensive drug, you can imagine when parents find out that their child, again, it's very rare, when, when parents find out that there is a miracle drug that will help their child walk and eat and function because that gene can be repaired. Again, don't ask me how a gene can be repaired through a one-time dosage. I'm clueless. But it's considered a miracle drug, and it works. And, and, and you're the parent saying, I got to get my hands on this drug. So first things first, call your insurance company. Insurance company says, oh, no, I'm sorry, we don't uh, take that drug. It's way too expensive for us. And you go to judges, and you go to doctors, and you go to friends, and you're at a loss. So it was, I believe the story goes, it was three days before her birthday. And they said they, they had exhausted their attorneys and lawyers and doctors and insurance companies, they had exhausted every possibility they thought of. So they went, they created a GoFundMe page. And you can imagine, it almost sounds like a scam. So the school that the children go to, actually, even the school got involved to put their letterhead on this GoFundMe ask, and they emailed it out. Over 20,000 people donated to buy this drug. So again, this was not you know, a few big donors giving a half a million dollars each. This was over 20,000 people helping this Jewish girl. Amazing. All part of my cane, all part of my yes, you can. So one person, one person can't do very much, even though in some of our stories, one person does a lot. But one person only by his own 
can't really accomplish what needs to be accomplished. But over 20,000 people in a three-day period raised, I believe the number was 2.1 million, but I've seen different numbers, 2.1, 2.2, but over $2 million were raised, and she was given, the girl was given this drug, um, Again, I guess either on the day of her birthday, the day before it, don't worry, she was given the drug on time. She was administered the drug. Just an amazing, amazing story of, uh, of what people could do. It's, it's, it's really, really quite amazing. Um, before I go on, I got to make a little uh, check over here. Was that the two minute sign or the one minute sign? Because I thought, one minute sign, two minute sign. Okay, because I thought we had a 57, not 58. I'm not going to get in trouble, right? Wrong number? Okay, I got two minutes. Fantastic. I got to tell you another story. So the story goes like this. For those who grew up in the New York area back in the 60s, so, um, well, first you could have been anywhere, but uh, in recent, uh, this has been in the news, the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing on the moon. It's been all over the news. Um, actually, something else fascinating happened that same week that the Apollo um, rocket landed on the moon, and that was there was a um, there was a radio broadcaster. His name was Barry Farber. So if you grew up in New York in the '60s, he was a big time radio guy. And um, now I got one minute left. We're going to go really, really fast. The bottom line is he had a rabbi on his show, and he was very disturbed. He says, "Rabbi, I don't understand. How can the Torah give major punishments?" He talked about giving 39 lashes for somebody who eats a ham sandwich. How could it be such a big punishment for something that seems so trivial? So the rabbi said to him, "You know, it doesn't happen too often. It's very rare, very hard. Has to be warning. Has to be witnesses." And ended ended the show. Bottom line was the Lubavitcher Rebbe heard about the show, and he said, i got to explain to you. Think about this for a second. Imagine these three astronauts that are landing on the moon. So there's all kinds of rules and regulations that these people are given. And here comes my music. I'm going to have to do this story next week. They're not going to let me finish. So, I got so many people to thank. But quickly, got to thank my wonderful production team today. Big team, Kelsey, Cole, Steven, Alana, Zach. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.